0: Hi everybody, my name is Pat Hogarty and welcome back to California Real Estate Practice, Real Estate 310. This happens to be show number 13 and uh, what we're going to be doing today, the last time that we met we talked about, if I remember correctly, the uh, purchase offer. So we spent a lot of time going through one of the forms called the purchase offer. And today we're going to be doing some additional forms. And the concept behind this is the fact that whenever you're putting any kind of a real estate transaction together, the two primary forms that you normally would deal with would be the listing agreement if you happen to be listing the property for sale, and if you happen to be working with a buyer, you would have the buyer's uh, or purchase offer agreement that you would sign. Those are the two basic agreements. But included in that, or in addition to that, you're going to have a lot of additional forms that you can utilize to help in creating or preparing or controlling your contract as it rolls along and the reason why we have these additional forms is that I've maybe mentioned before throughout the years what has happened is is that the real estate agents have sat down and said you know what you know I'm finding that I'm having to write you know that initial offer that I made was not accepted and I had to make a counter offer and maybe at that time they put all this stuff in their own handwriting And they did that for a while, and then finally they contacted somebody or, you know, their local association and then the California Association and said, you know, listen, is there a possibility that we can make a form called a counteroffer, that we can put most of those normal circumstances that we would see in a normal counteroffer, that I can just go ahead and check things off? And the, re- and the second reason why we would want to do that would be because of the fact that there might be some rules or laws that we need to follow or some disclosure statements and we would want to make really, really sure that we follow those correctly. So in addition to just making the form for the ease of us so we wouldn't have to handwrite it out, we would also want to have our attorneys take a look at it to make sure that whatever we're writing is, written, is done correctly. So we're going to be doing going over a number of these forms. By no stretch of the imagination are these all of the forms that are available through the California Association of Realtors. The other thing, as I've mentioned before, too, is that if you are a real estate agent or once you become a real estate agent, you can go down to the local association here in Sacramento, the Sacramento Association. They have a store in their location at 2003 Howe Avenue where they have a, a real estate store there where you can buy all of these forms, buy them in packages. Also, too, because a lot of people nowadays are doing everything electronically, there's a program called WinForms, and that comes in two different versions, one that you can run on your PC, your personal computer, and the other one that you can run over the web. And once you become an, a member of the uh, uh, a realtor and you become a member of the association, then you, that part of your benefits is that you'll have those programs available to you. And what's nice about that is you don't have to go out and have all of these forms sitting in your trunk or in the back seat of your car available all the time, you can just bring your laptop computer with you and print them out as you need. So if you have a laptop and a printer, then you should pretty much or pretty well be in business and be able to have the most form. And what the California Association of Realtors does with these forms, by the way, is they update them. So if you go to the CAR website, which I may very well uh, do, uh, probably maybe not this time, but the next time I'll show you where where the win form section is, and where those programs are located, at least so you know how one would go about getting that information, at least getting started getting that. So anyway, what I'm going to do is move over here to my old friendly uh, document camera. And the first thing that we're going to show you is that this, is, uh, this happens to be Chapter 7 in this current version of the book that we're using, uh, which is the 5th edition. And uh, the title of of this chapter happens to be additional forms for the purchase uh, contract uh, and how to get started. And what they're doing initially in here is they're just giving you a list of the forms that they're going to actually show you in the book is what they're basically doing. So they're going to be talking about things like disclosure statements. escrow instructions, estimated buyer's closing costs. So we're going to be going through all these forms. And I think, if memory serves me correctly, they have somewhere in the neighborhood of about 17 individual forms that are listed in the, in the book, in the textbook. So I'm going to spend some time going over these forms so that you're familiar with what they are and what they do. And again, as I've mentioned before, uh, we've, some of these forms we've covered in the past and we've covered in great detail some of them you're going to find out it's the first time that we've actually discussed them Uh, and uh... and so you are going to want to become very very familiar with this this happens to be on page if you will page two fifty eight this first form and the name of this form is called the agency disclosure form and Again, I really kind of want to emphasize to you when we look at these forms that probably, not probably, but if you go to work for a real estate broker, you're going to spend, find out that they're going to spend a tremendous amount of time going over these forms and making sure that you realistically understand. In other words, when I say go over them, I mean not just how to fill them in, but what laws uh, back up the language that are in these forms. And also talk about cases, like, for example, in my real estate principal's class last night, we had a student that came up. There was a statement in the book that said uh, something to the effect that a real estate agent is required to disclose if it happens to be their brother that is buying a house. In other words, they're representing a family member. And that's true. You have to disclose that. But where would you find that out? We actually found citations of that in case law at the Real Estate, Department of Real Estate website under the Real Estate Law Book that started leading us to the area where it discussed those things. So, again, that's the kind of information that you're going to find out that your broker is going to be going over with you. Anyway, for all intents and purposes, this is the form in which you're going to find out that, remember, this is agency disclosure. This is where you're going to, and this, again, is is created by, and I'll be zooming in and out of this, this is created by the California Association of Realtors. That's the one that creates and has this, this is a copywritten form by them. This happens to be the disclosure regarding the agency relationships. And if you remember from our discussion of the chapter uh, on agency, we talked about the fact that you as a real estate agent have to, you must disclose to the people that you're working with what kind of a relationship that you have with the buyer, the seller. So for example, this form right here is the part that we talked about, which is where we talked about what a seller's agent is required to disclose. That's this part of the form. This part is talking about the buyer's agent. And then this part of the form down here was talking about if you're going to represent both the buyer and the seller. And this is where you're going to want to have the buyer or the seller, whoever it is, needs to read the form, needs to fully understand it, needs to make sure that you explain it so that they understand it, and then they need to sign it. And what you're really doing is you're making them, uh, you're advising them of the fact that who are you representing? Okay, very important. You're required to do that. So that's one of the forms that you're going to have. The next form that we're going to talk about, and kind of like detail, is something called, again, this happens to be a form that's created by the California Association of Realtors. This is something called the Estimated Buyer's Costs. Now, this is a form that really becomes important Because what you're really trying to do, um, in fact, down the bottom of this form gives you a little statement that I think is probably really important. Let me zoom out here so we can read this. It says the buyer needs to know the total cost of this purchase, including the monthly payments before making an offer. This is an estimated you calculate, the work, uh, calculate working with the lender and the various affiliates involved in the transaction, such as the homeowners insurance companies, the homeowners inspection providers, so on and so forth. The point is, is that you have a client that walks into your office on a Saturday or Sunday or some other day or on a week, you know, on a weekend or at night or whatever, and they want to make a purchase offer on a piece of property and one of the things that they're going to be asking you is how you know after they've decided that they want to make an offer you're going to sit there and talk to them about what price they should make as an offer you know what the offering price should be what kinds of terms terms meaning you know what how who's going to pay the escrow fees who's going to pay the title fees who's going to pay all of those expenses that are associated with the transaction and so what you're doing is you're filling this form out and, this, and by doing this, you're showing them what their costs are going to be when they get ready to buy it. And you can utilize this in one of two ways, or uh, one in a couple of ways. This also serves as a really good checklist to enable you to make sure that there's not something that you are missing when you're trying to estimate these costs. And again, I've, as I mentioned before, there are a number of uh, people that will take, you can take this and put it into like an Excel spreadsheet. That's one tool you could use. I believe that there are several programs that are available, computer programs that work like Excel does, so that you could put the numbers in there. And if you changed one factor, it would recalculate the numbers. So, again, this is something that's just letting the clients know okay, based on the price that you're going to offer, what are my costs going to be? What do I need as a down payment? What are my monthly payments going to be? What are my taxes going to be? My insurance going to be? In other words, what's my total outgo going to be to get this property? And how much am I going to have to put down? so you as the agent are the one that's going to fill this format this is one of the reasons why we're paying you all this money so again this is a california Association of realtors form this is called the estimated buyers costs you may very well find out by the way that when you work with this that you may be working with a company for example if you're working with uh... You know, one of the larger companies in town, like a Keller Williams, a REMAX, or a Century 21, or a Lion, they may actually have their own version of this kind of a form that they want you to use, or they may even have computer programs that they're going to show you how to use to f- to work with these forms. But this is to give you the concept of how it works. So up here, what's going to happen is you're going to put the name of the buyer. You're going to put the the address of the property. And then after that, it says, this estimate is based on the costs associated with... And it's going to tell you what type of financing you're going to put in here. Now, what's important about that is because of the fact that depending upon whether it's a conventional loan, an FHA loan, a VA loan, a CalVet loan, whether it's their first time they're buying a house and they're dealing with something called layered financing, which has to do with where maybe they're getting, uh, which is another topic all in itself, where they're getting some assistance with down payments or they're getting some sort of mortgage relief, this is you're talking about you have to say this form is being completed with the idea in mind that we're talking about and then the kind of financing FHA financing Calvet financing VA financing that's very important because those costs can change the next thing that we need to do is now we're going to go down here and it's going to tell you okay we're going to put in what the loan amount is so that's how much money they're going to borrow this is the interest rate that you're going to be figuring out so this would be the interest rate and by the way I think I've shown you before, but there are a number of different ways you can figure out the monthly payments, but this would be the interest rate that's being quoted to you by the lender. So this would be like, okay, your interest rate's going to be based on you know 6% per year, 7% per year, 6.5% per year. The next thing is, is you need to identify what kind of a loan is this going to be. Is it going to be a fixed rate loan? In other words, where the loan is fixed for the next 15, 30 years, 40 years, or whatever, or is it an adjustable rate loan, meaning that it's going to change? And adjustable rate loans, remember, can go up every year, every two years, three years, five years, seven years, whatever. Or is it another kind of a type of a loan? Next thing you're going to put here is the proposed purchase price. In other words, your initial offer... It's going to be based on the fact that you're saying, for example, okay, well, you know, the people want to sell the house for, I don't know, $400,000. But I think the market's a little bit soft. It's a little bit weak. The house has been on the market for some time. So I'm going to make a purchase offer, uh, not a four i am going to offer three seventy five. So again, this is one of those factors that you want to keep in mind, that this is what you're offering as a purchase price. The seller could very well come back after that and say, you know what, I'm not going to sell this for $375, I want $385, or I want $400. So in other words, you're putting down what the sales price is. That's what that's predicated on. The next thing that you're doing after the sales price, uh, proposed sales price, you're putting down the proposed closing date or projected closing date. What's important about that is that has an effect on what, if you will, you're going to be responsible as a buyer for in the way of paying property taxes, paying homeowner's dues, uh, paying melarus, any kind of special bond assessment. All of that's going to be based on the date that you're going to actually close. So for example, if you close on the first of the month, you may very well have a totally different uh, payment or amount of money that you're going to be putting up to close the transaction versus the 15th of the month. So that's the concept of that closing date. After that, on this left-hand side, we're going to talk about the buyer estimated buyer's expense. Now, this is where you really need to be having an agent... A loan agent that you're working with that you can get on the phone and get the people qualified and find out what the basic rates are and how long that they're willing to agree to commit to those. So, for example, you're going to want to know what is the loan origination fee, and that can come in a lot of different terms. That's why you need to deal with somebody that's a mortgage broker, mortgage banker that can help you with that. The next thing that you're going to, and I'm going to zoom in on this a little bit, okay. You're going to want to know from them what is kind of processing fee. If they have a processing fee, what that's going to be. What the funding fees are going to be. These are all fees, and one company can have, call it one thing, and somebody else can give it another name. You're going to need to know the lender's prepaid interest how many days they're going to want prepaid interest. What the appraisal fee is going to be. And remember, those appraisal fees can go up and down. Uh, right now, there's less of a demand be, uh, for appraisers because there's less homes on the market that are selling quicker. Okay, so there's more appraisers that are hungrier looking for appraisals to do, so they may very well at this time maybe they're going to lower their prices a little bit in order to get you as a client, whereas if the market is really hot, you may find out that that appraisal fee is a lot higher, so that's why you want to check and the lender usually works with a series of apprais or a set of appraisals appraisers and knows what those fees usually run. What the credit report's going to be. This is PMI, MPI, this is private mortgage insurance, okay, tax service, tax impounds, any prorated taxes, documentary transfer tax. Remember that you could have that for both the city and the county. They give you an example in both the principles and the practice book that it happens to be $1.10 per thousand on the amount of equity that's transferred. So in other words, if you wanted to know what it would be on, say, $100,000 is a hundred. In a hundred thousand dollars is a hundred thousands, so that would be a hundred times a dollar ten, and that would tell you what the documentary transfer tax stamps are. Now, that's not a lot of money; it's not significant. It's it's not as significant in 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 value when you consider the fact that I think that would be probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about maybe hundred and ten dollars or something. It's not a lot of money, okay, but it can be. Uh, in relation to say a four or five hundred thousand dollars house, but it is a fee that you have to think about, and who's going to pay for that? Um, okay, so and they can have that kind of stuff for both the city and the county. Okay, hazard insurance. Um, hazard insurance is is it goes by a lot of different names. Some of us will call it fire insurance. Some of us will call it homeowners insurance basically what it is is it's the insurance that the lender requires us to have in place in case the place burns down to the ground or gets blown away in other words to protect the lender anything else in addition to that is usually what we call homeowners insurance that's the type of insurance that will cover things like uh... uh... You know, your house is broken into and somebody steals something out of the house and whether it's covered or not, okay? Or your child throws a rock through the neighbor's window and they happen to be five or six years old. Am I covered for that? Okay, that's your homeowner's insurance. Here we're talking about fire insurance. Uh, You're going to need to know about any kind of prorated insurance. In other words, if it's been prorated where you're going to have maybe you're only going to pay for a couple months because that's all that's left at at the year. After that, you're going to have something called, uh, let me see, uh, if you have insurance impounds. In other words, if you're a first-time buyer, remember, most first-time buyers or people that are having to put down less than 20% usually are going to have, the lender is going to require you to impound, in other words, set up a fund through escrow or start the funding process through escrow in which there's going to be a pot of money sitting there. And then when you make your monthly payments to, uh, to, the, uh, to the bank, what's going to happen is, is that money is going to go into that impound account, and then if it's, if it's insurance, once a year they'll pull out the money and make the insurance premium payment. If it's property taxes, what's going to happen is that twice a year they're going to go in and pull out the property taxes. Okay? But you want to know how much of that money needs to be set aside, and the lender is the one that's going to drive those requirements. Okay? Again, that's where your lender can help this is your title insurance fees and by the way these title insurance fees and escrow fees can all be gotten through the title insurance company most of your one of the things that you should be doing if you are a real estate agent i know we do this with our internship class but if you are a real estate agent one of the things that you should be doing is making sure that you find a title insurance company the one that we happen to be using that's involved in our programs is financial title now there's about 14 or 15 of these title insurance companies in town but what you want to get from them is a list of their fees in other words what are their escrow fees what are their title fees what are those different fees that they have so that you have those and have their little fee schedule with you so that you can turn around and fill that fill that blank out with a number you know, like Saturday night or Sunday or whenever day you're whatever day you're making this purchase officer, and those fees are always usually based on per thousand dollars okay so you need to have one of those you'll need to know some of the other things such as recording fees remember there's a separate recording fee for each document that you have recorded, so for like a grantee there's a recording fee for a for a um D to trust. There's a recording fee for a D to reconveyance. There's a recording fee, and the title insurance company can tell you what those fees are. Those are things that you want to carry with you that you always know ahead of time. You want to know what the traditional basic escrow is going to require. Those fees. You're also going to want to know what the notary fees are. Okay, and then you have down here are things like preparation of documents, structural pest control inspection, because uh, that inspection is usually paid for by the buyer. It's usually the buyer that will turn around and say, "You know what? Um, I'm you know, probably out of the fact that they're worried about the, the, the fact that the uh, seller is going to hire somebody that's not going to do a good job on termite inspections. And termite inspectors I don't know of any of them that are going to try to get around anything. They're usually out there, and they'll, they'll crawl underneath, on side, around the house, all over the place. They don't want to be sued. But the fact is, is that it's usually the buyer that usually will pay that fee. Notice I said usually. Okay. In my case, when I sold the ha- my house, I had the inspection done before I ever put it on the market, so I paid for the fee and I paid for the reinspection fee because I wanted to know what kind of problems I would ha- be running into ahead of time. Um, you may find out. Okay. Usually, structural, pest control, repairs. That is something that is usually the responsibility of the seller, anything that is found out that's as a result of that report. Uh, Normally the seller pays it, but if you're going to make, in your offer, you're going to say, hey, listen, I will pay for up to $500 or $1,000 worth of termite damage, then you can put that in there. This is a physical inspection fee. I would probably say that would be some kind of a fee, like a homeowner's inspection fee, a pool inspection fee, any kind of inspection fees, typical fees that you would have if you're making a purchase offer that people would have, today at least. is a termite inspection. That's standard. Nobody's going to lend you any money without a termite inspection, a clear termite report. Also, you're also going to have an appraisal. Nobody's going to lend you money without an appraisal but some of the ones that are optional that you can very well have are things such as a um, home inspection that's optional you may very well pay for that you as a homeowner or you as a buyer will pay that fee with the idea in mind that you and the seller are going to negotiate what's going to be fixed you may also ask for a pool inspection fee a roof inspection and it just goes on and on you may have a hot tub you want a hot tub inspection you know, whatever inspections, there are inspectors that'll, that'll come in and look to see if there's a problem. So, for example, you may turn around and say, you know what, I've had a pool for years. I know that there are problems with pools. I'm buying a house with a pool. I want to have a pool inspector come in and make sure that every all the equipment is correct. I want to make sure it works, functional functions correctly. Uh, you may have an issue where you take a look at the roof and you turn around and say, you know what, the roof supposedly is in good condition or fairly new. Or, uh, you know, or maybe you look at it and you turn around and you say, you know, it doesn't look too good. I think I want to have a roof inspector come in and take, you know, inspect it. The reason why is because that's not cheap. You know, I, I mean, it's easy for you to drop somewhere between seven to $10,000 on just about any house on a roof replacement. <clears throat> and that's the basic comp roof. That's not, I'm not talking about anything like fancy shakes or tile. I'm just talking about basic comp roof. And that's if you have no, no problems, no... Um, no uh, dry rot in there and you have no asbestos or any kind of things that you need to get rid of that's just a basic roof so you may very well find that you want to have that kind of inspection done Um, home protection policy this is a policy an insurance policy that you would typically buy usually you may very well either buy it yourself or you're going to ask the seller to pay for it the purpose of that fee so that when you buy the house you usually have a warranty that will take and fix either repair or replace those types of components that may go bad within the first year and that would be things like water heater Heater, air conditioning units, garbage disposals, trash compactors, uh, sound systems, stereo systems, things like that. And you're going to want to make sure that the client really reads and understands what they're really getting and how they go about putting a claim in if something happens. This is something called Homeowners Association Transfer Fees. If there's a fee to change the name from the existing person to the new person, then that's a fee you need to know about. And if you're selling property in the area, you should know what that is. This would be your brokerage fee. That happens to be the fee if you are, you know, maybe you as the buyer are agreeing that you're going to go ahead and pay pay a fee, like 3%. You're going to hire the broker and pay 3% and have them find you a house. So that would be a fee for that. Because typically it's the seller that pays the brokerage commission, not the buyer. Typically it's the seller. Okay. Administrative transaction fee, anyway, so this is your total expenses that you have down here. That's your total expenses that you have. And that, remember, that's an estimate. That's not final. Okay, That's an estimate. Over here on the right-hand side, you have some other things that you're going to calculate in here, such as estimated credits that you may have, such as pro. Credits means things coming back to you. So you may have, for example, things such as uh, proposed uh, prorated taxes, Rents that are going to come to you, for example, uh, remember rents are paid in advance. So you may very well be buying a duplex in which all the tenants have paid the rent on the first of the month, and now you're going to close on the 20th of the month, and you're going to figure out that the seller of the property is going to be getting the rents up to, say, the 19th or the 20th, and you're going to get the rents for the remaining part of the month. Uh, You also need to look at things like security deposits, anything that's going to be going if you're dealing with any kind of rental property or any other kind of credits you're going to be receiving you would receive help you out funding this is going to come in with the estimated cash that's required estimated cash would be how much money you're going to have to come up with to pay the expenses now some of those expenses remember would be things that you may either be coming in with cash to pay for them that's the stuff on the left side or you may be financing some of that Okay, but you want to know what those expenses are going to be and where the money is going to come from down payment, if you say that the house is $400,000 and you are got to come in with a ten thousand or a 10% down payment, that means you've got to come up with 40000 bucks. okay? And then this is less any credits you may have. This down here is where you're figuring out the estimated monthly payments. Notice that this is their principal and interest at the origination. So this would be like uh, principal and interest, you know, on a four hundred thousand dollar loan might be, I don't know, fifteen hundred dollars a month or two thousand dollars. So in other words, what is the monthly principal and interest that you're going to pay? That's what you're figuring out for the client based on this scenario that you're building for them. That would be based on the fact of here's the purchase price, minus your down payment, this is what I'm gonna finance, and these are what your monthly payments are gonna be. And what's important about that is the clients, we do that all the time when we buy stuff. We get ready to buy a car. You know, we may go in and argue about price. In fact, car people, our friends that are car salesmen, have learned this a long time ago. That's how they sell us stuff. What they do is they basically, we argue about price. They talk about monthly payments. And you may not realize this, but when you go into a car dealership and you're sitting there and saying, I'm not going to pay any more than $20,000 for that car. That's it. I won't pay any more. What you're really saying is I don't want to pay any more than $20,000 for it because I, in reality, can only afford... Two hundred dollars a month in payments. That's what you're really saying. Well, what the people at the people at the car dealerships have realized is, hey, you know what? I can make my car payment schedule longer. <laughs> so, what they'll do is they'll make the schedule. In other words, those two hundred dollar a month payments are based on you making payments for three years. That's why you're seeing cars where you can get payment. You know, your interest or your loans can be over like five, six years. What they're doing is they're just extending the length of the of the payments to keep your loan payments within tolerance. Okay. Uh, anyway, this would be your taxes. This would be your insurance. This is other. And other can be a lot of different things. It can be things like homeowners dues. It can be Melarus, It can be special bond issues. It could be all sorts of things that be listed in here. What you're really trying to do is saying what is my total monthly payment for me to live into this live in this house. What is it? And you're figuring that out. Down here it says, buyer is aware that the, uh, with regard to the adjustable rate loans that the monthly payments may be increased at various times of the life of the loan. Buyer should confirm directly with the lender all the terms and conditions of the said loan. This is very, very important. This is something that uh, I believe a lot of people are going to start getting caught with. Because they signed up for a loan and they have no idea when it's going to start to adjust, and they're going to sit there and they're going to say, "My goodness, oh, you know, we, you know, we got this loan, and now, now all of a sudden they're going to raise my payments by 100 or 200 a month." So you're just letting the client be aware that they need to make sure they understand all of the terms of the loan, when it can be adjusted, what the limits are. What rate it's based on, uh, what uh, you know, what indexes it uses, so on and so forth. Okay, so this is your estimated buyer's cost. What comes down here is down the bottom of this form. This is what your I'll try to read this right here. Uh, I know you can't see it on the TV screen, but I'll try to read it here. It says this estimate is based upon the above proposed purchase price, type of financing, and projected closing date notice there's a lot of holes in here this is all estimated okay has been uh, prepared to assist the buyer in computing his or her costs Uh, lender title insurance company or title companies and escrow companies may vary in their charges and that is true that's why we shop we may find out that our lender may have less fees that's why it's important when we compare loans, one of the indicators we look at is something called an APR, so it looks at all of the costs that are associated with the loan. Uh, also, title companies' fees can vary, okay? Not by a lot, but can vary, so you need, you're need you letting people know that. Expenses will also vary according to expenses for required repairs. So, in other words, you may get into this transaction and you're estimating that you're willing to pay up to say $500 worth of the repair work that needs to be done by the home that the home inspector finds or $500 worth of termite work only to find out that when the home inspector goes out there they find a lot of stuff wrong with the house or they find out that or the termite person termite guys are really good at this they find out that there's not a a couple hundred dollars there's thousands of dollars. I mean, traditionally in houses, there are certain areas that are like the uh, like the termite termite guy's retirement plan <laughs> available. I mean, wood decks are are terrible because they not only have things like dry rot, but also usually dry rot between the deck and the house itself. You know, you can end up with a deck alone that can cost five, six, ten thousand dollars to not only replace the deck but also fix all the problems that are associated with that in the house. So it can be very expensive. Um, Therefore, these figures cannot be guaranteed by the broker or his or her representatives. Remember, you're making that really clear. You know, this is an estimate. It's not fine. Okay. All estimates and information are from sources believed to be uh, reliable but are not guaranteed. This is where the buyer signs off. I have read. I'll zoom in on this a little bit. Okay. I have read the above figures and acknowledged receipt of the copy of this form. That's where the buyer signs this. Okay this is the real estate firm, this happens to be presented by whoever, your name, being the real estate agent, Okay, address and phone number of the people. Okay, That form in my opinion is critical. It's critical on an offer. <laughs> Absolutely crucial. And that's the reason why you need to know all of those factors because guess what? You get all done computing this thing and you, you know And all of a sudden, the client says, well, what happens if we raise the price or lower the price? Or what happens if we ask them to pay the title fees or the escrow fees? Okay, so you need to be able to recalculate this stuff fairly quickly. That's why working a form like this on a computer, working like uh, taking a class like a Microsoft Excel class is really critical because you can build formulas very easily into the spreadsheet and go and change these things and have it just recalculate by changing one number. So it's really nice to work. But this form, in my opinion, this particular form is absolutely crucial because this is what the client, whether you want to believe it or not or the client wants to believe it or not, this is what the client's going to use in order for them to make a decision on whether or not they can afford the house and what their monthly payments are going to be. And if they agree to that and it fits into their needs, then that's when they're going to, you're going to fill out your purchase offer in lines with this. In other words, this is going to transfer to your purchase offer. In other words, people will say, well, where did you get the price from? I got it from figuring it out with the client. Where did you get how much the escrow fees or title fees were going to be? I got it figuring out with the client. Very important form, extremely important. Okay, the next form that they talk about in here is something called a contingency for sale or purchase of other property. Again, this is a form that has been created by the California Association of Realtors, okay, contingency for sale or purchase of another property and what we need to do in order for us to understand this is to just do a little bit of the reading in this particular form this happens to be on page 260 by the way first of all notice that this form is not a primary form it's an addendum it's an addendum means an addition additional form And an addendum to any kind of a contract means that I'm modifying the existing contract or I'm adding some language to the contract is what I'm doing with this addendum. So I'm going to kind of zoom this in a little bit and try to read this. It says this is an addendum to the, and then you check here, California residential purchase agreement. And then this is based on either the counteroffer or the offer or other. And then what the date is the agreement and the date, where the property is located, and then who are the parties, who's the buyer and who's the seller of the transaction. So you're just finding what that happens to be. And then what this is, is this is giving you a series of checkboxes here that you can check off. Okay. In other words, this is something that's helping you uh, so that you don't have to rewrite all of this. If If I had to rewrite it all, I'd have to have all this language and be transcribing so by me having the form already filled out I just check the appropriate box so it says if checked sale of buyers uh, sale of buyers property it says the agreement is contingent on the close of escrow of the buyers property described as the primary purpose of that statement is the fact of that the buyer is going to buy the property but in order for them to buy it they have to sell their existing house they have to sell their existing house. Now, two years ago, that wasn't maybe a big issue because people were moving out of, say, Los Angeles, San Francisco our typical people that'll migrate here. They had already sold the house. They came to Sacramento and they found it very, very difficult in order to even find a house for sale. They already had their cash from the deal. So that wasn't a big problem. But now, all of a sudden, you're finding the people are moving to the community or moving within the community and in order for them to get their down payment for the new house or enough money to close this house, they have to sol- sell their old house. In fact, not only that, but the lender who's going to give them the loan for the new house will not give them a loan for the new house unless they either sell the old house or lease it or rent it, do something. Okay, And then if they do lease it or rent it, it's also going to be based on how much rental income they have and where they're getting it from and how stable it is. So you're checking this off. It says, uh, B, if the buyer does not close escrow by the earliest of the scheduled close of escrow of the seller's property, after the first given buyer notice of default to perform, essentially what you're saying in that statement is that you're giving the buyer the first opportunity. If they have not been able to sell their house, you're giving them an opportunity to try, still <clears throat> what we call a first right of refusal. In other words, you're going back to them and saying, listen, Uh, I've got another offer on the house, same purchase price as the one that you're offering. Uh, You've already got an offer on this. The offer has been contingent on the sale of your property. Have you sold your property? If they say no, they may very well, they still may be able to buy the house because of the fact that they may have some other way of getting the money. They may very well have another piece of property they sold. They may have an aunt, an uncle, a brother, a sister, an inheritance, some of the money that they've gotten but you're giving them the choice first of being able to remove the contingency and move on and continue to, continue to buy the houses, which you're allowing them to do. Okay. <clears throat> um, two says, uh, if checked, buyer's property is not now in escrow and, and then you check whatever the boxes are. So the first one is you're saying that the bu- property is in escrow. The second one, you're saying it's not in escrow. And here you're saying it's not not yet listed, so you're checking whatever the appropriate box is. Or it is listed for sale with, and then the name of the company is listed with. Or the buyer shall, within whatever number of days after the acceptance, provide the seller with copies of the contract and escrow instructions and related documents showing that the property is actually sold. Okay, so this is all contingent. I can't say anything. These are all the various circumstances that are contingent you probably are going to see more of these kinds of offers. Because when we enter into the real estate market, what happens is it's like a set of dom- dominoes. You know, you may not realize it, but the person that moves out of that apartment house that has to buy that first apartment, which is a condo or something, they need to move out of the apartment house and buy the first condo. The people that live in that condo are going to buy their first standalone single-family home. The people that are buying their first single-family you know and it goes up so you can actually trace backwards where that person that's maybe buying that house for three quarters of a million or a million dollars you can track back all those transactions and find out that it's all dependent upon that poor guy first moving out of the apartment house in order to buy and if somewhere along the line somebody cannot perform then the whole thing starts to come apart that's why the financing is so critical absolutely so critical that they're able to do that so you're going to see more contingency offers going Okay, so um, I just want you to see that form. We can spend a lot of time going over it, but just be aware that if you are have something that's contingent on the sale of somebody else's house, you need to know this form. You need to read it and make sure you understand it and how it works. Okay, The next form that the book talks about is called the Buyer's, the Buyer's Inspection Advisory Form. Okay. Buyer's inspection, another one of our California Association of Realtors forms, buyer's inspection advisory form. And what this is essentially trying to do is to notify and tell the buyer that they have the right, see if we can get this in here, the right to have an inspection on the property so I'm gonna kind of read this a little bit here so that you make sure notice that this is something that's in bold type it's telling you about the importance of a property inspection or investigation as they call it the buyer rights and the duties the sellers rights and their duties the brokers obligations so on and so forth okay and this form includes a lot of stuff First of all, you're going to put the property address down here and says the, uh, the importance. It says, the physical condition of the land and the improvements being purchased is not guaranteed by either the seller or the broker. For this reason, you should conduct a thorough investigation of the property personally and with the professionals who should provide within reports of their investigations. In other words, they should provide you a written report of what they found a general physical inspection typically does not cover all aspects of the property nor or items attaching to the property that are physically located on the property it's just trying to tell you that when you do this inspection by no means of the imagination regardless of who you get to inspect it are you going to include every solitary thing there's going to be areas in which it's going to be physically impossible for you to make sure that you, everything is in perfect condition, because it is a used house. So you could very well move into the house and have the best home inspector in town do their inspection. And then, as I've seen in the past, where all of a sudden a pipe breaks in the concrete, you know, a water pipe breaks, or, or something else goes wrong with the house. You know, that you, there was no way you could find out it was a problem until it broke. Okay says, if the professional, professional recommend, recommended further investigation, including the recommendation by a pest control operator, to inspect reasonable areas of the property, you should contact the qualified experts to conduct such an investigation. All this is doing <clears throat> is trying to really make sure that you're telling the buyer everything you possibly can, how important it is for them to do an inspection of the property. Absolutely critical okay now whether they choose to do that is up to them but you're telling them that that's important you're notifying them that that's an important item the second one and I'm not going to read this because it's just it's just too hard to read all of this on the page but basically this is your buyer and sellers duties this is your sellers duties this is the brokers obligation okay I'll read down what the broker says Says the broker. Brokers do not have the expertise in the areas to areas and therefore cannot advise you in many of the items such as real as stability, geological, environmental conditions, hazardous. The bottom line is, is that you, as a real estate broker, you're telling the clients, I do not have that expertise. You know, I can tell you. I have a certain knowledge of real estate. My primary job is more of creating contracts, helping to find the right people, the right inspectors, uh, marketing the property. But I am by no means an expert on earthquakes or pest control or, or, or roofs. I'm not, I don't know that subject. Okay, and, and, and So you're letting the buyers and you're letting the sellers know I am not an expert in that area. Okay, That's why you need these people's help. Um, down below uh, this is just uh, more general condition of the property and systems and components okay it says you are advised to conduct an investigation of the entire property including but not limited to the following and this happens to be the uh, general condition of the property this would be basically home inspection structural you know I've seen engineers come in and do inspections I've just seen you know lots of different people Uh This one here is something called Square Footage, Age, and Boundaries. It says Square Footage, Room Dimensions, Lot Size, Age, and Improvements, and and Boundaries. Any numerical statements regarding these items are approximations only and have not been verified by the seller and cannot be verified by the brokers. This is one of the things that's really important for people to know is the fact that and I've said this to students in classes before, I could send, I could take everybody that is in this learning resource center right now or in this library and give everybody a tape measure and have them go out to a home, not give them any direction except for the fact of saying, I want you to tell me how many square feet are in this home. And by goodness, every single one of them would probably come back with a different total. And the reason why is because some of them would take their measurements from the outside of the house. They would run the tape measure around the outside. Some of the people would actually go in and they would measure within the rooms. Some people would turn around and include the bedroom but exclude the closet. Some people would include the closet. Some people would include the garage. Some people would include the porch. The bottom line is, is that people will come up with all different sizes and based on all different sorts of arguments I could come off and for example depending upon how I hold the tape measure and whether I include or go from the molding on the wall to the molding on the wall or I go from the wall to the wall I'm going to be probably at least an inch off on my measurements on every single room I take my measurements on so the point is is that anything that you give people they need to understand their approximations the same thing when you're dealing with acreage. If you start saying that this is about a third of an acre or it's in a quarter of an acre or lot sizes, what they should do to make darn sure that, they, that the sizes are correct is to have a survey done. And, for example, it's not uncommon for those of us that have lived in rural areas, when we get ready to put a lot of money out to put a fence up, you know, whether we're doing it ourselves or we're hiring somebody, what we'll do is we'll get an engineer or a surveyor to come out and do a survey of the property and actually stake it of exactly where the property boundaries are so that we know that we're not putting the fence on somebody else's property or not we're not giving up property to somebody else. Okay? So those that's important that people understand that. The last thing that they talk about in here is our friends called the wood destroying pests. Okay, these are our bug friends says, uh, presence or conditions likely to lead to the presence of wood-destroying pests are organisms and other infestation or infection. Inspection reports covering the items can be separated into two actions. Section 1 identifies areas where infestation or infection is evident. Now, Section 1 are things that you have to get repaired. Section 1 means that, for example, that the wood is touching the ground and the guy or the gal, when they went out there, sees holes in the wood and they see bugs crawling around in there, which means that they can come up and they can get into the rest of the structure and do a lot of damage. Or that they've gone out there and they've looked at the deck and they found out that because you've had leaves dropping on the deck for the last 10 years, those leaves have not allowed the water to evaporate correctly and have now caused dry rot, and the deck is about ready to fall off. Okay, those are, those are as we call, talk here, called Section 1 items. You're going to find out that Section 1 items have to be corrected, have to be. Uh, termite uh, lenders are going to want clear termite reports uh, and they're going to look for that and they're going to look for the clearance of section 1. When you get the termite report, it's going to talk about section 1 items and section 2 items. Okay, Section 2 items, they're different. It says that section 2 identifies areas where there are conditions likely to lead to infestation or infection. Likely to lead means that it's possible also within section two those don't have to be corrected but you're going to find out because the termite inspector was out there they may very well discover other items as part of their inspection that would maybe need to be repaired but they're not causing any damage right as of this moment an example would be like i've seen where wood siding on the side of the house the T111, T11 siding, what happens is, is it's made out of plywood. It has a little bit of moisture in there, and you start to see where the, it separates a little bit, okay? And it feels a little bit loose. That's not There's no damage in there. There's nothing causing it, but a termite inspector would most likely write that up. A termite inspector may very well write up something like drainage, saying something like, you know, that they've observed that the water is not correctly draining away from the house. They may write that up, okay? So there's going to be things that they'll notice as part of their inspection. Okay, that need to be done. Section 1 items always had to be corrected. Section 2 items might be something that you and the buyer or the buyer and the seller would negotiate as to whether it's going to be fixed or not. Okay, So that's what this is about. Down below, they have another one of these big statements down here. They say, along with the purchase agreement, the buyer is required to read and approve this two-page broker recommendation on the values of obtaining and paying for qualified inspections from appropriate professionals prior to finalizing the transaction. You must provide the seller with a signed copy of the buyer's inspection advisory, have it signed and initial by the seller, and return a copy to the selling agent. Okay? Again, you're advising people, and it just goes on from here. This report, by the way, on the second part, the reason why they say pages, they're talking about things like soil stability. Okay? Uh, there's areas that I see, uh, for example, I know up in, in um, there. If you see, uh, like I've seen up in uh, the El Dorado Hills area, where there are people that will, and you see this on the news once in a while, where people, they'll have a lot of rain, and what will happen is that all of a sudden the whole cliff falls off the edge of the, edge into the ocean or falls down. And the reason why is because maybe 10 years ago there was a fire, and what the fire did is it killed all the trees because the trees burned down. Well, when they killed the trees, the roots went away. It's the roots that hold the ground together when you get a lot of rain that comes down the hill, it washes away the soil. So so what we're talking about, soil could be, you know, maybe 10 years ago it was okay. Now it's a problem. It could be washed away. Um, Roof. It's talking about roof inspections. Pool and spa. Okay. Advising people they need to have those kinds of inspections done. Um, Different water utilities and well systems. Now, most of us if we live in, in, in the city, are used to the fact that we go over and turn the faucet on and out comes the water. And that's it. If we're in the rural area, we may very well find out that we have our own well. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about the amount of water storage we have for the water that our well produces, how many gallons per minute that the wa- well puts out, how deep the well is, you know, all kinds of well stuff, in you know, other words water, because we're the ones that are actually getting the water from the ground. Okay? So you're going to maybe have a water company come out and do that. Uh, any kind of environmental hazards that you may have. Earthquakes and flooding. Okay, uh, Fire hazard and, it, uh, and, other, uh, and other types of things. Fire hazards can form into a lot of different things. Fire hazards can be, for example, the house has a shake roof, and it just so happens that there's a whole bunch of oak trees that dump their leaves every year on top of the roof, and, and the house turns into nothing more than a fire hazard <laughs> at a certain time of the year. Okay, This is another one here that's a biggie as far as I'm concerned, is something called building permits, zoning, and government controls. As I've mentioned in previous shows, you're going to find out that there are a lot of people that have work done on their house and maybe has not been done according to the building requirements or have not pulled a permit. Or they pulled a the permit, and what happened is is that <laughs> they never had the final inspection done. So, this is another thing. You may find out that they, you have somebody come out and does an inspection on the house and says, "You know and you're talking about the wonderful addition you put on it, and they ask you one question, they say, "Oh by the way, do you have the permit on that?" and you go, "What permit?" and you find out that now you're down at the county trying to find out if you can <laughs> get a permit on the thing that you've had up for the last ten years okay uh any kind of rental property restrictions that you may have, okay." security and safety neighborhood and surrounding subdivision conditions any kind of factors that are affecting that so in other words this is total disclosure or total advisory to the buyer uh, some of these things sound simple for example this one little paragraph here that says neighborhood area subdivision conditions and personal uh, factors when my wife and I built our house a couple years ago one of the things that the real estate agent recommended for us to do and actually I followed the advice was to not only look at the lot where we were having the house built during the day but also look at it during the week and also come there at night and see for example at night you may find out what kind of a view you have what kind of noise you may have like for example the freeway may appear to be like it's a long distance away but you may find out that the prevailing winds blow that noise or carry that noise right over the top of your house so or you may find out that there's a road that during a certain part of the day you don't hear the noise, but at night all of a sudden you get a lot of noise from there. Or the railroad trains that you thought that the tracks didn't work, (laughs) that they actually run railroad cars or trains come through. And I have literally seen in San Francisco, in the south part of San Francisco, somebody asked me to look at a house when they were getting ready to buy, and the train, this is no lie, had to be no more. It looked to me, if I remember, like maybe 20 feet, 25 feet at the most from the back part of their of their condo. The condo was brand new, but the train was right there. And the train, when it ran by, it made a heck of a racket, okay? And that might be something that you want to know about, okay? So that, those are the things that you're disclosing to the, to the buyer. You're letting the buyer know that, okay? Uh, this is just a... Uh, what they call a, a physical waiver. This is something that this, uh, the publisher of this book and an agent that they know put together something called the professional physical inspection waiver. Probably I would say that this is a form that serves as a good example of where internally your company may have a document that they want your clients to sign in addition to other types of documents. In the words like say a California Association of Realtors form, they're saying they're saying when they want their attorneys have advised them to have all clients sign this document to make sure that clients are aware of that. So that's a good example of a document that you may very well have your clients sign. And what this is doing is it's saying professional physical inspection. It's a waiver. It says. If we, the buyer and the seller of the above property, have been informed that the professional home inspection services are available for our protection and benefit and we have aware of the intent of the physical inspection and that we have elected to elected not to hire a professional property inspector. That's the point of that. In other words, they're saying we have elected not to do that, okay? And by doing that, you just have something that's documented that actually shows that you know that they have been informed, They have signed and big type, and it's done. So anyway, with that, I think we're pretty close to the end. I want to remind you that we have our exam coming up really quickly. You need to make sure that you've downloaded the study guide. That's going to happen in the next couple days, at least for right now. Make sure you go to the Blackboard website. I've also sent an email out to all of you, and I'll always do that every time we have a class. I send an email out for the location to bring your Scantron, your number two pencil, on and on and on. I've also put a, an announcement up on the website. With that, thank you very much, and we'll see you back here the next time for show uh, show 14. Thank you.